Well, um, uh, let me introduce myself. I, I, when I was running up here, I forgot to do that. My name is Caesar, uh, or I'm Shay. No. <laughs> uh, um, my name is Caesar. I'm one of the pastors here, also the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. It's a blessing to be here with you today and to share a word of uh, a word from the Lord um, this day, particularly uh, around um, the subject of being here. And so. Um, in light of that, I'm going to draw from Ephesians 21, 33, and then um, in 6 uh, through 1, and that's on page 1822 in your Bible. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. And, uh, and let me just say, uh, as I prepare to read this passage, it's a very interesting passage from Paul, uh, letters to the Ephesians. And while I was working on this sermon, um, I, I, well, I have a lot of anxiety about it because I was like, oh Lord, I, you know, I got to talk to my wife about this. So anyway, uh, let's prepare to hear our, to hear a word from the Lord, Ephesians 21. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 21, 30, 33. So not, you're looking for uh, chapter 21. I don't want you to be. <laughs> submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband and husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without strain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to live, love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their bodies just as Christ does the church. For we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is profound mystery. But I am, t I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he, him, as, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then six, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This is the word for the people of God. And you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you once again for your amazing grace that meets us here in this holy place. We pray that one more time that you would rescue me from me and that you would rescue all of us from ourselves. We pray, God, one more time that you would hide me and hide all of us behind your cross. God, that we may see you lifted up and glorified. We pray now more than ever 
that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When um, I had the opportunity to read this passage, um, it's been several months, and uh, Shay emailed me, and he said, hey, will you preach for me on this day? And I was like, sure. And then he sent me this passage, and I was like, oh, you're so good. When I read this passage, I must admit that as a person of faith that I had been, a person of faith that has been socialized to respect the role and the power of women in my life, that I always cringe when it comes to the limiting language used in this passage because uh, I know how this passage has been used to legitimize and subjugate and uh, and, and abuse the authority of relationships uh, solely for what has been called uh, the gospel. And so while I come to this passage with my own human experience and, and all of the things that I come with as a powerful human being that God has created me to be, I must admit that I always struggle when it comes to this passage because it has been used. This passage has been used to subjugate and to manipulate and to control and to marginalize people to for control of a narrow interest. Thus, I must admit that as a man who has two beautiful daughters who have raised my girls to be powerful women and who has raised a son who has taught him to treat women as their peers, that I struggle with the limiting language of this passage because it goes against the ethos of what I tend to understand our relationships to be uh, in the world and with each other. And so as we continue this study on Ephesians um, and this sermon series, Be Here, I think it's important for us to really address these issues and to really not run away from this passage, but to, to really dive into this passage and to see what it is that God is calling us to be and what God is calling us to be, particularly not as a, as a people of faith, but also as families in, in a faith community. Because while I believe there are issues that the church must address and should address and deal with in this human condition, dealing with the needs of the family are paramount to who we are as people of God because the family is the building block, is the building block of the church and the community. And if we want to have a healthy community, and if we want to have a healthy and holistic church that thrives with the spirit of God, if we want to be all that God has called us to be, then it requires, it requires that we, that we, that we struggle, that we work, that we do the work of understanding families and our family systems. 
that we understand that our first priority as a community of faith, while we, while we, we are all commissioned and called to do the work of Jesus Christ, of making disciples of Jesus Christ, while we're all called to do that, while one of the things that we are also called to do is to nurture and care for the family. That we are called to do that. One of the things I love about uh, the video and, and about First Methodist Mansfield is that this is truly a family church. And it's a multi-generational church that you, I mean, you know, you, you, have, you have seniors and then you have uh, babies. And, and every place in this church, there is a ministry and a place to speak to where you are in your stage of life. And it's important if we are going to be all that God has called us to be, that we take the time to speak, that we take the time to speak to what it means to be in relationship with each other and what it means to be a church that embraces and surrounds ourselves with the whole family. What does it mean to care for each member that they be able to live out who God has created them to be? that we are a church that really speaks to that and to lean into it and carry it wholeheartedly in our hearts. First Timothy 5.8 puts it this way, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, love and charity begins at home, and to, and to make our home a haven of peace is the first call of building the kingdom of God. Likewise, as I also believe that if we're going to be faithful and live out this great commission that God has called us to, uh, this, this has called us to in, in making disciples of Jesus Christ, then, then we, it's important that we get our family matters straight, that we, that we really begin to look at who it is that we are. Consequently, to that point, I think it's also important to note that the most powerful influences in our lives that shape us and who we are is our families that our families have a way of shaping who we are. In fact, I remember my great-grandfather used to always quote the Proverbs scriptures that says, raise up a child in the way it should go, and when it gets old, it will not depart from it. In fact, science says that, that if you train a child, if a child is raised in, in certain environments, if a child is raised a certain way, that it will ultimately return back to those teachings. That, that, that it's consistent with, with science. And one of the things that we have in Celebrate Recovery, and I love the fact that we do this, and I say this all the time in Celebrate Recovery, is that we have Celebrate Recovery for the, the children, and we have Celebrate Recovery for the teenagers, and we have Celebrate Recovery for the adults. And I always say that I love the fact that we have Celebrate Recovery for the children and the teenagers because we are teaching at an early age how to teach our young people to cope with the situations that happen in life. It's not a matter of if something will happen. It is when something happens, and then we have a response to when something happens. I always tell people all the time, we're finding a way to cope. We're either going to cope with hope or we're going to cope with dope. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. We're going to find a way to cope. We're going to cope with hope or we're going to cope with dope. And we're going to cope in ways that will build relationships with one another, or we're going to cope in ways that separate 
and build isolation. We will cope in ways that will build community and build support for one another, or we'll cope in ways that will build silos that will ultimately lead to death. And our work as the church is to understand that if we are going to do the work of ministry, that we take the time to speak to the family and that we nurture and care for the family and that we nurture and care for the relationships that are in the family, that we speak in a way that brings healing and wholeness to the family, and that we, that we, that we always lean to the guiding light of loving God with our whole hearts, minds, and souls, and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. John Bradshaw puts it this way in the past, or in his book, uh, Healing the Shame That Binds. And he says this about families. He says, families are a social system which follow or, um, organic laws, um, the first law of social organisms, and that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Thus, a family is defined by the interactions and interrelationships of its parts rather than the sum of its parts. Therefore, the family is, is what the, the family is a makeup of who we are, and it is a relationship between who we are, and it shapes who we are. The other thing that I think is important to note and to know about families and why it's important for us to, to really take a look at this passage is that, is that if we have dysfunctional relationships, then we have dysfunctional families. In fact, uh, as I say uh, in Celebrate Recovery, that, that if, 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 if daddy has a drinking problem, then the kids got a drinking problem. That, um, that, that, that if, if there's a workaholic problem, then the kids got a workaholic problem. That if there is something that one person in the family is struggling with, then the whole family struggles together. And that it is important, it is important for us to be able to deal and to talk about what it is that makes us whole and who it is that God is calling us to be as a people of faith. And if we want healthy families, if we want healthy families, then it requires that we begin to do the work of seeking healing and wholeness for our lives first. That we seek healing and wholeness for our lives first. That we take power and responsibility for the things that happen in our lives. That we work to make ourselves whole. You know, I, I, I love um, Celebrate Recovery because I love the serenity prayer. You know, I tell people all the time, the serenity prayer gives me good, new, good language to deal with bad drivers. You know, because every time... I go to work to Dallas, you know, somebody cuts me off. I got the serenity prayer to help me deal with them bad drivers. So when somebody, I go, God, grant me the serenity. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. 
You know, me and uh, me and Kara, you know, we were driving back from uh, we a couple weeks ago. We I went to went out to California to pick her up, and we were driving back, <laughs> and we were coming back, and and uh, she started driving. Uh, she started out the trip driving, and I found myself saying the serenity prayer because I was like, okay, I'm gonna say nothing. I don't get fussed at. And then, of course, when I took the wheel, she's mumbling the serenity prayer. I don't know what that's about. And then when I took the wheel, I remember cutting somebody off and I saw them do this and I was like, look, they're doing the serenity prayer. <laughs> so it's important for us to know. It's important for us to know that if we are going to be all that God has called us to be, that we have to do the work of being healed and whole and, and taking the responsibility of wholeness. As I say in Celebrate Recovery, and as I always say with the folks that I know, we have the power. We have the God-given power to, to seek and to create the healing and wholeness in our lives. And people say to me, how? How do you know that we have the power? And I always say, it took you 100,000 steps to get here today. And all of those choices were yours. And if those choices were yours, then you have within yourself the power, the power, the power, the God-given power to tap into the healing and wholeness that God has created for our lives. So, so the question for us, the preacher always has a question. So the question for us is, the question for us is, is how then do we live consistently with this passage, with this passage that, that is loaded with this language, how do we live consistently with this passage and live uh, as Paul has called us to, to be? You know, I, 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 I was, I was, <laughs> I was just, I'm laughing because this happened this morning. <laughs> I was working on this, on this, this sermon and I was going through the <laughs> scripture and, uh, and I was telling Cynthia, I said to her, I said, uh, I'm working on this passage and, and I said, and there's this part in here about submitting. And I was like, and it said, wives, submit to your husbands. And I was like, I want bacon. And she walked in the other room <laughs> <laughs> Get the bacon on your own. I'm like, oh, well, I was just joking. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> oh, serenity. She was singing the serenity prayer when she went in the room. God grant me. <laughs> but how do we, how do we live consistently with this prayer? And what mindset should we have when we enter into this passage and as we look at this passage? I think it's important for us to then, as we begin to look at this passage, to remember who God has called us to be. To remember the first, the very first thing that God calls us to love God with our whole hearts to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That the neighbor is the other, whether we're married to him or not, that the neighbor is the other. That the neighbor is the other, that we are called to love with our whole hearts. As we look at the passage, it says, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church. That ultimately, that is a love that is bigger, more powerful than the human love that we have for one another. 
that it's more powerful than eros, that is tapped into our own humanity, that it's more powerful than phileo, that is connected to the mutual love that we have, but it is love that is connected to the love of God that comes from God, that is created by God, that was given to us because God seeks to have a relationship with us. That love is called agape, and I love Dr. Martin Luther King's words for agape and what he calls agape. He says agape is a love that seeks for all of humanity, seeks for all of humanity. It seeks for all of humanity creative, redemptive goodwill. That that is a love that seeks for all of humanity creative, redemptive goodwill. That as we strive together, as we live together in a multi-generational church, as we live together in a diverse community, as we live together in a world that is diverse with ideas and religions, as we live together in a world that has many stakeholders, our first call is to love God with our whole hearts and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So what should we be mindful of if we're going to be all that God has called us to be and if we're going to live consistently with this passage in a way that brings life to us? The first thing that we need to be mindful of is that we need to know that boundaries are important for a healthy relationship, that boundaries are important for a healthy relationship both physically and spiritually. While there are several things about this passage that always makes my, my, my hair stand up on my head, what is important to note about this passage in verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence to God. Submit to one another out of reverence to God. Thus, submitting is not about giving up power. It is about taking the power and, and using the power in a way that is mindful of the boundaries of others. Brene Brown puts it this way in her book, um, in her book, uh, uh, The Gift of Imperfection. Compassionate people ask for what they need. They say no to what they need to. And when they say yes, they mean it. They're compassionate because their boundaries keep them out of resentment. And if we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be holy, if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, if we're going to be grace-filled and graceful, if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, we lead with that amazing grace and love, and we lead with that love with compassion, but we lead with that love understanding and knowing clear boundaries. I, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time when, 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 if you come on Thursday night, you'll see me stand here and I'll say, my name is Cesar Renti. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I struggle with codependency. And, you know, I remember somebody came to me and they said, well, you know, what's codependency? And I said, well, codependency is this need to find the identified patient, to find meaning in saving others. And I said, you know, um, there's, a, there's a toxic form of codependency which uh, has no clear boundaries both in and out and that, and that it doesn't, doesn't know when, when the person begins and when the, other, uh, when the person ends and when the other person 
begins that, that codependency is, a, is a, 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 an enmeshing of, of who you see yourself as in the world. And it's very toxic because you'll find yourself working and doing all these things to, to make the world happy so that you can be happy. And, there's, and, and it drains all of your energy. And I always tell people, I said, that there's a, that's the toxic side of codependency. But the other side of codependency is radical hospitality. <laughs> that radical hospitality, radical hospitality welcomes the broken, welcomes those in, welcomes all of those in, but it knows where I end and the other begins. That radical hospitality knows where the other begins and where I end. That the ability to be able to set clear boundaries allows me, as a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, to use my gifts in a way that will benefit the kingdom of God. And if we are going to be all that God has called us to be, then it requires, it requires that we submit unto Christ unto Christ as we submit to one another. The second thing that I think is important for us to know is that as we submit our gifts to God, that as we submit those gifts, those gifts are submitted for the life of the community. The, our gifts are submitted for the life of the community. I always tell people that we, we come to this life. We come to this life with so many gifts. That we come to this life with what I call pearls. And that those pearls are the wounds. And those pearls are the gifts that we have. And we come to this life with all of these amazing gifts. We carry these gifts within ourselves. And it really is important who we share those gifts with. The scripture says, be mindful of where you, share, where you throw your pearls. Because if you throw your pearls among swine, they'll trample them under their feet. And they'll use them as they're no good. And it's important for us to know that, that, when we, that when we are called to do all that we are called to do, that we share our gifts in a way that support the life of our community. Our gifts should be used to uplift the community and the family. When we, are, when we wrap our gifts in love, our submission, our submission becomes a prophetic statement in the world. First Peter 4, 10 and 11 puts it this way. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in, in its various forms. That we should use our gifts in its various forms to serve others. Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians, as I, as I, as, as, you know, there, there are always, you know, I, I, as I look at passages that, that challenge me and, and passages that, that, that I look at, Ephesians is that passage for me. And always, I'm always asked when I read a passage, if, if, if I run away from that passage and I don't seek the truth in that passage, then I'm missing the prophetic point of the passage and what it's saying to me. 
And ultimately, at the end of the, the, the day, this passage calls for me in my submission to submit my gifts in a way that produce life for the community that it produces life for the family, that it produces life, not, not, for, not just for my sake, while it will enhance my own life, but for the gospels, for the gospel's sake, that ultimately, in the end of the day, that love, that, that, that our gifts, our gifts are submitted for the sake of the gospel. Finally, as I, as I think about this particular passage and I think about who God has called us to be and what Paul calls for each one of us and as he shares uh, this with the church of Ephesus and as he, as he talks about the structures of the family, it all goes back to love again. That ultimately at the end of the day, if we don't understand love, then this whole structure will not stand. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much education we have, no matter how much theology we have, no matter, no matter how much musical talent we have, no matter the resources we have in our church or in our family, if it's not motivated and generated and, and moved by the very spiritual love of Christ, then it will not stand. You know, I, I love when I get the opportunity to do weddings, and I say it all the time. We get to talk about agape, and I talk about agape love, and I always say agape love is an amazing love. And the one thing about agape is that it drives you to places where you think you will never, never thought you would be. That agape loves make me dig in my pocket and give when I didn't want to give. That agape calls me to the most difficult places in my life. And it calls me to, to the most difficult places in the world to give so that God's presence is made known. I'm part of the the uh, Big Hope program, uh, and now I transitioned into the Big Brother program. But when I started in Big Hope, um, I started with a little, and he was in the third grade, and now my little is about this tall now. And uh, he loves chocolate pancakes. <laughs> he loves chocolate pancakes. And, and uh, this, this past week, um, we got together and, and uh, we went out. Uh, I picked him up and I said, what do you want to do? And, of course, he was like, let's go to Inter International House of Pancakes, you know. And when I, when, when I used to pick him up, he was a little kid and he'd barely see over the, 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 dry, the, the window sill. And now he sits in the car with me and, and he's just as tall as I am. And he's, he's got, you know, all of this stuff growing on his face and a little mustache and his voice is, you know, changing and 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 I'm watching him turn into this this amazing young man and I'm watching him I'm watching him you know grow into into this incredible human being 
and and we talk all the time and and you know and I I'll pick him up and I and you know we'll go bike riding or we'll go play basketball and I you know I I've, I I hold the record I hold the record right now uh, in this uh, basketball game because I I used to beat him pretty bad now he's starting to catch up with me now now he can move faster but I've been getting him with wisdom and. Uh, <laughs> And I, you know, I, I, I act like I'm going to do something really dramatic, and then he takes off, and then I throw it, ah, I got you, you know. But, uh, but now he's starting to pick up on all my games, so I uh, find it harder and harder to win. But, but one of the things that I've, one of the things that I've discovered in this relationship is that as I've been required to give, and, and, and what motivated me to give, what motivated, what motivated me to give uh, was, was all around the whole thing that happened with Trayvon Martin. I don't know if you remember Trayvon Martin. He's a young man that, that was in the community uh, at, at, his, at his place and walking through the community, and, and he, was, he was killed um, by a man named George Zimmerman, and I don't know if you're familiar with the case, but after I watched that trial and after I, after I read that case, I remember how I said to myself, what if that would have been me? In a neighborhood where I was supposed to be, not doing anything that I wasn't supposed to be doing, going home, and I lost my life. And out of that, I said, I have to do something to make a difference in the world. And it happened out of pain in my heart. And I remember I called Pastor Mike, and I got involved with Big Hope, and I got involved with this little. I got involved with this little because of, of wanting to make a difference in the world. As I began to share my life with him, as you know, I'd bring my lunch on the weekends or, or the weekdays, and and I'd have lunch with him, and then uh, and then I'd go and and he got he he first I would do all the talking, and now he does all the talking, and uh, as we have started to share our lives together, what I've noticed is that he's starting to date. And as he's starting to date, I've got a set of rules for him. I said, I said to him all the time, I said, you know, your girlfriend, I said, you treat her with respect. I said, what does that mean? And he was like, treat her like, like she's my sister or treat her like somebody's daughter. And I was like, yes. And I said, and the other thing is, is that whatever you have on your cell phone, right? If you can't show it to your mama, then you don't need to be sending it nowhere. <laughs> And he's like, yes, sir. And I find myself sharing my life with him. And my little, um, as we, this past Father's Day, as we shared um, this time together, as we shared this time together, I, I said to him, I said, you know, as I think about this passage, you know, children love your parents and all of these things. Uh, there are many challenges in his life. His father is now serving a prison sentence, won't get out of prison until he's 25 years old. And as I shared uh, with him, I, I remember for Father's Day, I, I caught up with him and, and we got together and I said to him, I said, Jordan, I said, uh, I said have you, uh, you get your dad a card? And he was like, no, I didn't. And I said, so we got to go get him a card. So we went and got a card. And then I said, let's write him a letter. And we wrote him a letter. 
And then I went to go and find uh, where I needed to mail the letter. And as I looked and found his name and found the letter and I found everything, I, I looked at the rap sheet. <laughs> and then it hit me that the work that we do as a community of faith is not, is not for us, but it's to change the future. Paul's message to these folks, Paul's message to this church, this very difficult message to preach, is really ultimately about changing a future that does not belong to us. I don't know I don't know what Jordan's life will be like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. But here's what I do know, is that right now, our relationship is making a difference. It's making a difference for what matters to him right now. God has called each one of us. God has called each one of us to be faithful stewards of the gifts that we've given, to take those gifts and to use those gifts in a way that build relationship and community with one another. And we cannot do that without agape. And my hope, my hope for all of us, my hope for all of us is that we will surrender ourselves, that we will surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to agape love, that it will drive us in ways that will seek healing and wholeness for ourselves and for the world. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your amazing, amazing grace that continues to show itself in our lives. We thank you. We thank you for your steadfast love that never ceases, that we thank you that you are always a constant presence in our lives, that you speak your words of healing and wholeness for the promise of a brand new future. God, be with us this day. Be with us this day as we give ourselves to our relationships, as we give ourselves to you so that your presence will be made known in everything that we say and do. We pray these things in these prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.